Welcome to Brookings First United Methodist Church and our podcast, Messages from First United Methodist Brookings. This podcast is an audio version of Pastor Pete Grassow's sermons from the First United Methodist Church in Brookings, South Dakota. You can watch the full services online anytime on our website at brookingsmethodist.org or at the link in the episode notes. On behalf of Pastor Pete and our entire church family, thank you for joining us. I want to begin by saying, you know, how good it feels to be back. Uh, It does because I've had the opportunity to serve this church on two different occasions. It in many ways feels like coming home. And uh, the people that I've really appreciated this morning were those who came up to me and said, not only did they say, Howard, we're glad to see you, but they also said their name. (laughs) Uh, Because as as much as I remember things and experiences here, sometimes the name just slips. And so I really appreciate it when when persons come up and uh, share with me their name. As some of you might know, the last church that I served before I took so-called retirement (laughs) was the Pier Fort Pier Hayes Parish. And it is a church from which, during the 12 years that I was there, I have a lot of wonderful memories. First of all, it did feel like coming home because when we moved into the parsonage, we moved into the same house that I'd lived in in my high school years when my father was there. And when I went to pull out the pocket door, on the back were still the heights my parents had marked of us children on the door. And one of the fun things was, is when I retired, they took that door out of the parsonage and gave it to me. And so, Pierre always felt like home. It felt like home because there were kids that uh, I'd been in high school with there as I went there. It felt like home uh, because of the way in which I was welcomed into the community. And one of the things that happened while I was there was we built a huge addition to the church, not unlike what we did with the community center here, that opened up to us a variety of opportunities. And as I became involved in the life of the community and the service organizations there, I was not only blessed, but hopefully had the opportunity to bless others as well. And of course, it's really the people that make the difference. The pastors, the associate pastors along whom I served, and the lay people with whom I also served made those 12 years a wonderful time. But one of my best memories comes from a difficult time, which was actually the last year that I was there. It began in May of 2011. Late in May in that spring, our community received a warning from the Corps of Engineers that we were in for a flood and that we had very few days to prepare for the torrent of water that was coming our way. And what I want you to know is, when you go to seminary, they give you a lot of classes, but they never give you any classes on how to prepare for a natural disaster. And so I was really struggling with what is going to be the role, what should be the role of our church as we go through this challenging time. Fortunately, I was not alone. I had a wonderful staff, and at that time, Jenny Hollenbeck uh, was my associate pastor. We had served together for five years, and so we knew each other well, but unfortunately, she was also preparing to leave for her next appointment. 
As we wrestled with the situation that we faced, Jenny remembered that when the Grand Forks Fargo area had faced a similar situation, one of the real needs that they had had was simply for food and water for those who were working on the front lines, filling sandbags and emptying homes of belongings. And so we put out a call for bread and peanut butter and ham and water and volunteers to make sandwiches and persons to deliver the food. And I was amazed not only at how the members of our congregation responded, but how we had help literally from across the community, across the state, and even beyond. And although the toll water took their tolls on the church and the community, our church family was able to provide critical care during that difficult time, as each member of the church provided what they were able for the common good. The reason that this flood of memories came back as I was preparing this sermon was because of the passage of Scripture that I had prepared for today. A passage that I didn't know that Terry Johnson was going to preach on two, two weeks ago. So there may be a little similarity, but there will be some differences as well. As we enter the book of Acts, we find the early church wrestling with how to live out their experience of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Their lives had literally been turned upside down by Jesus' presence in their lives. They had always lived with the dream that the Messiah would come and exert the, it, it, God's power by destroying Israel's enemies and by placing the people of Israel in a position of privilege. And with the coming of the Messiah, that destruction would come by the means of the sword. But instead, the Messiah, Jesus, had shown up in the form of a carpenter's son who had taught that love and not the sword or physical or financial power was how a person was to deal with the evil in this world. As we meet this early church in today's scripture, they have already begun to meet regularly for worship and to, for teaching. And as they gathered, they often shared a meal not, I suspect, not unlike what we call potlucks. Everyone brought something to share. But as they gathered, they did more than simply share a meal. They talked to each other. They got to know each other's story. And when they learned that someone was struggling, they didn't just say, oh, I'll be praying for you. Instead, they took out their pocketbooks and purses and through their gifts alleviated, alleviated some of the hardship and pain in the lives of others. As the early church had its beginning, there were three things that got the attention of people on the outside of the church community and that drew them in. The first, of course, was the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The story attracted the people because, as a nation, they too, like the disciples, had long prayed for the coming of God's Messiah, especially in times when their nation had been under threat from outside powers. And even though this Jesus didn't quite meet up with what their expectations were, what their hopes and dreams were, they simply could not ignore the fact that Jesus had overcome death. And so they gathered around the disciples every time the disciples were out in public preaching, listening to what they had to say. And as the disciples' words of hope gripped their hearts, many then became a part of the church community. The second thing that grabbed people's attention was, were the miracles, of course, that occasionally the disciples would perform. 
People who once couldn't walk now could after the disciples had laid their hand upon them and prayed for them. The miracles gave power to the words that the disciples spoke. And so people in the community began to enter the church, not only to hear what more the disciples had to share, but also I suspect some of them came hoping for a miracle in their own lives. The final draw of that early Christian community was the way in which the people of the church cared for each other. And not just cared for each other, the way in which they would care for those in the community as well. We see that lived out in the story that we read today from the book of Acts. The people often ate together as they gathered, but it went simply beyond what we call having potlucks. Acts tells us that the members of the church were a generous and caring family. If someone was struggling, others in the church community would quickly step forward and offer whatever aid they could. And we were told told that they would go so far as to sell their property, their resources, in order that they might help one of the fellow members of their church family. And when word of that kind of caring moved beyond the church walls, and when the church members offered that kind of caring not only to the church members but to those on the outside as well, others in the community rapidly began to join the church, and the church grew rapidly. This kind of generosity was unknown in the world around them that lived with an attitude that one only needed to care for oneself and one's immediate family. Even those in positions of authority began to take notice of what the church was doing. We are told that one of the early church emperors, noticing what was happening and how quickly the church was growing, quickly went to the priests in his own local pagan temple and said, you've got to become more like them or we're not going to have anyone else in our building. The mark of of coming together to form caring communities was a call that God had placed upon that early church community. But that call was not just placed on those people that we read about today in the book of Acts. It is a call that God has placed upon our lives as well, a call that I believe comes from the very beginning of creation. In the book of Genesis, we read the creation story. There we watch as day after day we are told that God creates everything that is out of nothing. And on the sixth day we are told that God creates that first human being. And after that first human being is created, God says, you know, it really isn't good for this person to be alone. And so God creates all the animals and brings them to the, to the person to name. But even after that is done, God says, this still isn't good enough. It's not good enough for that person to have a dog by its side or perhaps a cat in its lap, even though those of us who know, have pets know the blessings that they bring to our lives. And so we are told that God creates the second person. And as God does that, God not only creates the first family, God creates the beginning of the first community. As I wrestled with this passage from Acts today, the words from Genesis simply would not go away. It is not good for this person to be alone. And that's still true today. A week ago, the Surgeon General of the United States issued a health warning stating that one of the greatest health hazards that we have as a nation 
is that of loneliness. When we are lonely, it affects our mental health, dealing with depression and even suicide. And loneliness affects our physical health, heart, depression, even Alzheimer's. And although there are times when it is good to be alone and we need to be alone, if we live too much of our lives alone, we put our very lives at risk. We live in a world that promotes individualism. We lift up the athlete who hits the most home runs or the quarterback that wins the most Super Bowls or the man or woman who can run the fastest or score the highest on their test or make the most money. But the longer I live, the more and more I've experienced life, I've come to believe that when we make that kind of individualistic attitude the Lord of all we do, when we isolate ourselves from others, we will find less satisfaction and joy in life because we are not living into the life God created us for, a life meant to be lived in community. Several weeks ago, I was sitting in an auto repair shop getting my car window replaced. And I visited with a stranger, and as we visited, he was a man who apparently had done fairly well in life. He told me that he paid $18,000 a year in property taxes, and that was just on his home in Sioux Falls. He had another home out in the hills. He also told me that early on his goal in life was simply to make a lot of money. And apparently he had accomplished that goal. But looking back, he shared with me that he now sees that he really missed the mark. And he talked with me about some of the things that he'd missed out on. Life, he shared, is not found in bank accounts or the accumulation of things or awards for individual excellence. It's about relationships and caring for others. Throughout the Bible, Scripture teaches us that God created us to live in relationship with those around us. God saw that from the very beginning. We need people in our lives if we are to live life fully. I do not believe that we will ever experience the fullness of life that God wants for you and me if we do not come together as a community that cares deeply for each other and especially cares for those who have found life hard. Several weeks ago, I listened to another preacher who said that community, for example, should be a place where, a safe place where one can ask the hard questions of life and faith and even express our doubts without being made fun of. It is a place where we can be cared for, a place where we can be nurtured in our faith and in our life. But even more, as we come together, we also need to know that each of us brings wonderful gifts. Gifts that not only bless our lives, but gifts that have the power to bless others as well as we share them. God created each of us to bring value to this community and that together we are collectively more than we are as an individual. Today in Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, Luke lifts up the, the, the gifts that were shared by individuals and families who had enough and more than enough that they could share with others and they are honored for their generosity. But as we look at those persons and how they model for us one expression of what love looks like, we must be careful that we don't look down on those who are on the receiving end of those gifts. 
Those members of the early church family should not be looked on or viewed as simply just takers because of their struggles. They also would have had gifts to offer the community. Some of the women in our church who know my wife Karen know that she really enjoys quilting and that probably her favorite store in Sioux Falls is Joanne Fabric. And I suspect a few of you would join her. But as she, puts, and as she puts quilts together, the challenge is often to find simply the right fabric and the right colors to go together. But the quilts that are the, really are the most fun to watch or craft are those that are made out of scraps from the leftover quilts. This assortment of scraps that she keeps until she finally decides to do something with them. I got in trouble one time, I threw them away because I thought they were just worthless. But she takes these variety of all kinds of scraps and makes them into things like table runners that are simply beautiful and bless the places and the persons who are on the receiving end. And the same is true of the Christian community that was a, a just as diverse as those scraps that are found in her scrap, scraps bucket. Some had gifts of financial resources that they were willing to share, and that was good. But others had gifts of faith, and they offered that to the community. Some in that early church had gifts for administration, while others had gifts that allowed them to care for the ill and the elderly and the poor. Some had gifts that allowed them to effectively witness and tell the story of Jesus to the general public, and others had gifts for teaching those new to the faith and our children within their midst. Each of those gifts was needed, and the gifts of all in that early church were honored as they in love were offered to the community. Their combined gifts brought them closer to Jesus, even as it attracted others to join their congregation. As I read the story from Acts today, I was reminded of the Peer Church during that 2011 flood. Some in our church family had the resources to buy and food and water that was needed. Others made sandwiches and delivered food and water. Karen would tell you she made so many ham sandwiches she can hardly bear to look at a ham sandwich anymore. Some in our church filled sandbags and others piled them around homes to keep the water out. Some persons helped evacuate persons in their furniture while others opened their homes to families whose homes had been flooded and all prayed. The total church had gifts to offer and were freely offered much like what we see happening in today's passage from Acts. And even though there was a cost to what they did, their, their gifts of service brought blessing to their own lives as well. It was interesting as the Surgeon General talked about this epidemic that we have of loneliness. He talked about how service combats loneliness and how service blesses a person with better mental health and physical health. It's a win-win situation. The other thing that I want to lift up today is that those in the early church who shared their financial resources were doing more than simply being generous. With their giving, they were stating that they trusted not only that the church would use their gifts wisely, they were also saying that they trusted their community to care for them in the future if the need would arise. Their act of generosity was an act of faith that said they trusted both God 
and their church community with their future. God, I believe, calls us through the life of Jesus and his disciples to enter into the church we call community. And if we do so, we will find our lives blessed. But I would also say, tell you, coming into the community doesn't have all the answers. It's not always easy to be a part of the community. I think one of the things that I stated in one of my earlier sermons when I was here before was someone told me God gave us the gift of family that we might learn how to live with people who are not easy to live with. And I suspect some of you know that to be true. And the same is true of the family we call the church. Some of us know that from our experience within our own congregation here. We're experiencing that within the United Methodist churches. Some parts of the church are saying, we're not sure that we can live and worship and do service together anymore. As we look at our nation, we see how difficult it is to live together simply as Americans. And when we read the story of the early church in Paul's letter, we observe that at times they found it challenging to live together. And yet as difficult it is, as, as it is, we cannot ignore the fact that God created us not only for a relationship with Jesus. God calls us into a community called the church where we are given not only the opportunity to learn about Jesus and grow in our love for God, but where we are challenged to learn how to live together and share the gifts that God has given each one of us. And we must never forget that it's through the church community that we receive the Bible. It is through the gift of community that we know of God's love for us. It is through the gift of community that we know the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It is through the gift of community called the church that we know that we are loved because of who we are, but that we are also loved in spite of who we sometimes are. Today is Mother's Day. During my 75 years, there have been a whole lot of women from the church communities I've been a part of who have surrounded me with a mother's kind of love and nurtured me in my faith and guided me in my love and picked me up when I was, have fallen down. And I suspect I'm not alone in that. One of the real joys when I was in district superintendent, I showed up at Harrisburg to preach. And after the service, one woman came up and said to me, you know, your father was our pastor here a long time ago, and I used to hold you in my arms while your mom sang in the choir. I've been nurtured by a lot of women and loved, and I appreciate that. Before Pastor Pete left for South America, he shared with me a story that he gave me permission to share. I was so afraid he was going to say, no, don't use it. I want to use it later. <laughs> but he said I could. A story that reminds me of the importance of community and how it shares our view of life. There was a five-year-old girl from our church that received an invitation to go to a birthday party. And as her mother read her the invitation, her mother told her, not only are you invited, your little brother is invited, and... We, your parents, are also invited. And the little girl's response was, oh, that's just like communion. <laughs> and, the, and the mother was kind of puzzled and said, you know, what do you mean? 
And the little girl responded, you know, communion, everybody is welcome. And I don't know how many of you looked at the sign today out front. Did you notice it says everybody is welcome? And where did she learn that? She and everyone are welcome to this communion, to this community and the table that Jesus set. She learned it from her church community. If there were time, one of the things I think it would be a joy to do would simply be for many of us to share with each other the places where our lives have been touched and blessed by the church communities that we have been a part of. And I hope that as you have opportunity to do, maybe even at the potluck today, that you would take time to share a little bit of how your life has been blessed, either by this church or some other congregation that you've been a part of. But for now, my prayer is that we, like the members of that early church, know that we too are always welcome members of the family called the church. And that no, no matter how old we are, no, longer how, no, no matter how long ago we claimed our Christian faith, no matter what struggles and failures have been a part of our life, God calls us to this place and to this family that together we might grow in our love for Jesus and that together we might learn how to live out our Christian faith as we seek to love and care for each other in this world with which we have been blessed. Thank you for listening to this message from First United Methodist Brookings. To get every message delivered to you, subscribe to this podcast for free and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can always find more information about our services and outreach on our website at brookingsmethodist.org and on our Facebook page at Brookings First United Methodist Church. On behalf of Pastor Pete and all of Brookings First United Methodist Church, thank you for listening. This podcast was produced by Sam Becker on behalf of First United Methodist Church in Brookings, South Dakota. Intro and outro music was performed by our praise team under CCLI license number 936719, streaming plus license number 210-39161. Visit BerkeysMethodist.org for more information.